In the Walls and Under the Floor, Part 2. The service elevator to ground level had to be manually unlocked via a key in the warden's office in the library. The route to the library was fairly minimal. Take the industrial elevator on this wing up two floors, make my way past the cafeteria and farm, Though, a stop should be made by the farm briefly, if given the opportunity. These creatures appear to track prey by scent. A compost and dirt bath may veil that scent enough to get around. Find the key, back the way I came, down the hallway, through the morgue, and to the service elevator. Simple enough. I exited my room to the almost silent hallway. Generators still exhaled oxygen through the various vents adorning the walls. It seemed that the goals of these impostors was still shrouded in mystery, as the facility appeared to run as usual. The elevator also seemed to be in working order, as suggested by the monotone music playing within. As I got closer, however, another sound caught my attention. A deep, clamorous sniffling began to grow in volume from down the hallway. I threw stealth to the wind and sprinted the remaining stretch to the elevator. The deafening sniffling came to a sudden stop, as an ear-piercing screech echoed through the hallway, along with the reverberating sound of metal smashing against metal. I turned back to face an unexpectedly empty hallway, silence filling the room. A vibrating metallic sound comes from directly above me, as if a hammer was tapping lightly on a piece of sheet metal. The ceiling's air vent above me rumbles slightly, and then settles, completely still. It's waiting for me to pass under. I placed my back to the wall, feeling my heartbeat surge through my body, and methodically began moving past the vent. As I moved past, the same dark crimson goo I'd seen earlier begins dripping down, staining the concrete floor. I maneuver past the vent, hearing an ever so slight raspy breathing as I go by, and move into the elevator as a puddle begins to form on the concrete. The second floor button illuminates as I push it, but, to my horror, the elevator responds with an acknowledging ding. Another sound arouses my attention as the vent shakes violently before slamming down onto the floor. The head of Miss McCallum drops down, an ear-to-ear -ear smile plastered on her inverted face. The smile soon departs, however, as her jaw unhinges supernaturally wide, revealing dozens of needle-sharp teeth and bellows out a deafening scream. I treat the closed door button like a speed bag, slamming on it repeatedly. The door starts to close as she drops down from the ceiling, landing upon all fours. Any semblance of human-esque features are now gone aside from the face. The limbs are elongated and stretched, skin wrapped tightly around the bone. Upon the lengthy fingers were long, sharpened nails, which appear to be coated in blood. She lurched slightly before bolting at the door, lunging once a few feet away. The elevator rumbled as she collided with the doors, knocking me off balance. I watch through the small porthole in the elevator doors as she stares at me, smiling, before the elevator lifts and obscures my vision of the hallway. The elevator's monotonous music juxtaposed the insanity which had just transpired as it rose through the bunker. I took my brief respite to breathe and calm my shaking body. The adrenaline that surged through my body began to dilute. I slumped against the elevator wall the weight of the impending task pressing down on me like a physical force. The elevator slowed and settled on the second floor. 
I was prepared to once again hammer away at the closed door button. I crouched by the button panel, straining my neck to where the doors parted so it wouldn't have to fully open for me to see. The doors sat closed for a moment, as if they too were hesitant to be exposed to whom or whatever lay on the other side of the door. Eventually the doors pushed away from one another as the elevator whimpered out a small ding. The same metallic and sweet smell that lingered in their nest wafted into the elevator as soon as the doors opened. It was very clear as to why. Almost the entire room was covered in the thick burgundy sludge, splattered against walls in ways that was revealing of a bloodbath. There were surprisingly no bodies in the carnage. It appeared as though bodies were just put through a mincer, even bones nor teeth surviving the process. I moved forward, knowing that the situation would only get worse, as whatever these things were cleared the floors above me. I pushed myself forward, nearly slipping in the solution of blood and tar-like substance which the creatures emitted. The agricultural center had two large glass doors, both of which had been shattered. I stepped over the crumbled door, the glass shards crackling when stepped on. The room was vacant, mined for the plethora of plants. The agricultural center was the largest building in the shelter. However, only a few spots had been coated in the goop, which I guess was unsurprising at this hour, as technically nobody should have even been in here. I snuck through the reception area and into the field supplies room. Fortunately, it was just around the time of year at which new growths are started, so plenty of large metal troughs were stocked with compost and dirt. I enveloped my body in the cold mud, the water acting as a binder as it caked onto my skin. My heart rate had declined slightly as the mud dried, crusty patches crumbling off like an eroding mountain. But I knew I couldn't sit. I couldn't think about everything that had transpired in the last hour. As soon as my stoic veneer had been shed once, I would never be able to regain that composure. If the adrenaline that pushed me forward and coursed through my veins had diluted completely, I would be unable to go on. The shards of glass from the shattered door called to me, an invitation to abandon my plight and embrace a moment without worry, without familiar skin, hair, and eyes, masquerading as friends and family. The thoughts gnawed at the back of my mind, a scavenger waiting for its prey to die so it can feast. I pushed them to the side and arose from the trough, ebon sludge falling in clumps from my body. I stepped back onto the concrete floor, leaving muddy imprints as I maneuvered back the way I came, a deceptive mundanity accompanying my walk back to the reception area. The library door down the hall was slightly ajar. Perhaps lives could have been spared had locks been installed throughout the bunker. Unfortunately, the only locks that existed were airlocks, which could contain and seal off radiation breaches. I imagine the engineers hadn't thought of this scenario in safety protocol meetings. I peeked through the gap in the door surreptitiously. The room was a mess. Bookshelves had been pushed, dominoing on top of each other. There was yet again a surprising lack of bodies, considering the multitude of red splotches which garnished the desks and walls. The lights from the stained glass still shining down upon them, creating a sickening pointillism of blood, tar, and colored light on the various surfaces. I pushed the door slightly more open, which revealed the rest of the room. The second floor of the library also seemed relatively... 
I quickly pushed my body into the doorframe of the library after hearing the elevator open. Footsteps moved swiftly out of the elevator. I peeked past the doorframe and into the hallway. A man, dressed in a charcoal gray suit, walked confidently down the hallway towards the library. The wave of relief was brief before being washed away after seeing the man's face, covered in the crimson sludge. The viscosity of the substance allowing for infrequent drops to fall from his chin. His route ensured the sanctity of the doorway would only be temporary. I pushed in on the ajar door, never more glad the hinges swung in instead of out. The door closes soft behind me as I quickly take in my surroundings. The room was completely silent, an anomaly from the soft chattering and flipping of pages which regularly filled the library. I took a step forth to distance myself from the door and simultaneously the pretender moving around outside. In my haste, I neglected to see the large crimson splotch under my feet and feel my feet slipping. I catch myself on the librarian's desk, but enough weight is behind the movement to move it a few inches. An audible scraping sound echoes through the room as the desk moves. Hello? A voice beckons from outside. I vault over the desk, securing my body in the leg well beneath, as the footsteps move towards the library door. The rhythmic echo of the man's footsteps abruptly halts just outside the door. I fill my lungs with the oxygen and try to steady my heartbeat as a crashing sound comes from just beyond the desk. I watch from under the desk as the door splinters apart. The man enters, crouched down, moving on all fours his extremities distorted like Miss McCallum's. He continued to use his voice to attempt to deceive and lure me out. The voice echoes bizarrely around the room, as if he whispered the mocking greeting next to my ear. The body is now even more contorted, as his elongated neck snaked sinuously around concealed corners and through hidden crevices. His cold, lifeless eyes appear famished, clearly filled with hunger. The man's clothes tear from the limbs and bones extending. The sound of the transformation is revolting as flesh and sinew is torn and pulled. It shuffles around, silencing its voice for a moment to take a deep inhale through its nose. I watch as a flurry of motion moves swiftly to where the bookcases had fallen in on one another, tearing one off the pile, sending it soaring through the air. I'm momentarily shocked by the crashing bookshelf only several feet from my hideaway that it takes me a moment to hear the shrill scream. The smile on its face seems more devious now, sinister, as it calmly stalks after a middle-aged woman, the distance restricting my ability to identify her. Even in a full sprint, the girl doesn't get far. Like a leopard pouncing upon a sloth, she is tackled. The creature's grimy nail runs along her neck. Her pleas die in her throat as crimson pours out. His crazed eyes remind me of Saturn, and the girl devoured like his son. It drinks at the gash, excreting the black tar-like substance as it does. It then places her gently upon the concrete and stares at her for a moment, as if pondering. And without an ounce of struggle, it heaves her body onto its shoulders, exiting the library through the remnants of the doorway. I can faintly hear the elevator doors close down the hallway, and then... nothing. 
The absence of sound is jarring. My head is pounding from holding my breath for the duration of the attack. I step out from under the desk. I tried to ignore the conviction in my mind which tells me I had just inadvertently killed someone. I step over the newly spilled spot on the floor to the stairs. The walkway to the second floor seemed to be untouched. The same cannot be said for the warden's office. The polished leather of the black chair was marred with blood, a final symbol of lost hope laid bare. The key was in a glass case on a cabinet behind the warden's desk. A wooden plaque adorned the case, embellished with these golden italicized words. Break when the time for regrowth comes, with the knowledge of past sins, a promise for a better future, and the present darkness left here to rot. It sat beside a peace lily, which had been born outside, but had adapted to grow within the concrete walls. A sanguine symbol, I presumed, alongside an array of photographs of the outside world before it was left dilapidated by a nuclear winter. The glass shatters when struck, exposing the key to fresh air for the first time in decades. I grabbed it, placed it into my jean pocket, and exited the office. The eerie silence still permeated the library, the walls now containing gruesome knowledge that no scholar could learn reading through its desecrated tomes. I step over the splintered remains of the door and into the hallway. Two heavy steel doors at the end of the hall sat ominously. A plastic sign hung next to the door, identifying it to be Haven Horizon Morgue. I had one last glance back into the hallway. I heard the generator switching. I didn't mind that sound much anymore. Through the distortion of watery nostalgia, the bunker's concrete walls didn't seem as cold, as imprisoning. They seemed more so protective and safe. However, the red splotches desecrating the walls and the distant sound of sniffling pushed me forward through the cumbersome doors, past operating tables with fluorescent lights hanging frivolously above, and to the service elevator, to the surface. The lock, desolate under a heavy coat of dust, temporarily inhibited the key from pressing in on the pins. However, after a moment of twisting, it fell to the floor, allowing me to push aside the steel shutter and step within. The elevator was larger than the industrial one, easily able to accommodate twenty people. The wall contained only two small buttons, each presenting an arrow pointing in opposite directions. I pressed the button with the arrow pointing up, stumbling back as the elevator jolted to life. The rise was long, or perhaps it just felt long. Anticipation and dread bubbled in my stomach like a witch's brew. I closed my eyes, taking a moment to breathe. The adrenaline which had ensured my survival began to lose its grasp on me. I felt my body settle and my breathing become steady as the elevator slowed and stopped, the doors parting. A cement room faced me, vacant aside from a ladder leading to a vault door fixed on the roof. I climbed the ladder. The rusted metal squealed under my weight. The vault door spun and released. An audible discharging of air accompanied it. The door pushed open. Stepping outside for the first time, a sensation akin to what only Buzz Aldrin and perhaps Neil Armstrong might have ever experienced enveloped me. The world was not as I imagined it would be, though the idealistic utopia which I had perhaps could have never been fulfilled. 
even if the world wasn't a barren wasteland of ash. It was clear as I looked around that this was once a forest. Silver-coated trees stood defiantly, despite dying over a decade ago. The more distant surroundings are obscured due to the darkened sky lingering over me. The light illuminating my immediate surroundings, yet again, is a manufactured unnatural interior light that protrudes from the room behind me. A haunting silence lingers heavily in the air, broken only by occasional gusts of wind that stir the lifeless remnants of the derelict forest. My dreams of a lush and ethereal campground, with children playing and dogs barking, permeated by the sweet and tangy scent of barbecue, with plentiful fresh fruits to eat, surrounded by friend and family, was clearly not destined for me. But perhaps you, my reader, may live to see my dreams come true, and in doing so, perhaps vicariously, my ambitions would be realized. Therefore I leave you this account, containing my aspirations for you, and more notably, my warning. I must write this swiftly, as my cough, which spews crimson into my hands, tells me I do not have long left. So I must accentuate my message. Do not forego my martyrdom by opening these doors. Only the corporeal nightmares of a people long since past inhabit the concrete below. This was not a clever gag constructed by a people who emerged before. Hopefully the ash cake skeleton which grasps the bottle containing this note will prove that to you. Leave this accursed place. Wipe it off your maps. Knock down this building and bury the foundations with the demons of the past. And let's take another crack at this civilization thing. Perhaps with less gluttony and hate. And if you ever need any inspiration, Perhaps you should read my list. Godspeed. Signed, Josh M. of Haven Horizon Nuclear Shelter. Golden Vista's Shelter, Expedition Journal, Entry 205. The skeletal body found outside Haven Horizon Shelter has been buried, and his warning heeded. We are thankful we will never have to witness the hell this boy went through to protect us from. Furthermore, a second entry was made below this one. The writing is far sloppier, and red splotches dot the page. I will never see most of what I've dreamt of, but I now watch an orange and gold light peek above the horizon the light slowly illuminating the world around me, conquering the darkened sky. The sun offers me a companion, one which crushes the darkness, providing the most tranquil penultimate moment in my life. My lonesome fate feels slightly more comforting now as an unfamiliar warmth embraces me. The crayon sunset, which I had admired for years, could not even come close the beauty that conquers the sky now. Perhaps I was born in the dark, but at the very least, I'll die in the light.